John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. A famous passage, a well-known passage. I want to give some context to this passage before we read. Jesus has, has just been crucified. He's died just a few days before. And the disciples got this startling report that some of their the, the women that had been following Jesus had, had seen the resurrected Jesus, that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was alive. And then Jesus appeared to some of the disciples. He said, peace be with you. And he, and he, 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 he proved to them. He showed them the wounds in his hands. And they went and they told the disciples who weren't there. One of them specifically, the name was Thomas and told Thomas and, 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 and Thomas refused to believe. And this is Thomas's story. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Heavenly Father, we ask that in this place together today, like like Thomas, we would experience Jesus, you coming to us in our our hearts. and, and, And as you proved to the disciples that you were alive, Lord, would you, Would you manifest yourself in our hearts and show us that you truly are risen indeed. And that because you live, we live as well. Show yourself to us, Jesus, on this Resurrection Sunday and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But 15 years ago, there was an article that was published that began to upset many in Christian America. The article described the emerging generation and their perceptions of Jesus. Never before had a single generation held such skepticism and doubt concerning the biblical claims. And over the last 15 years, those sparks of doubt have only been fanned into greater flame. Today, I don't believe our culture struggles with doubt. We celebrate it. We prize doubt. Doubt has become a virtue. And to some extent, I actually believe it's a good thing. 
When doubt causes us to investigate, when doubt causes us to look into and discover for ourselves what is real and what is true, it keeps knowledge and understanding of the world and ourselves unfolding. But when doubt is celebrated in and of itself, it's not actually good for anything. It's lazy. It only keeps us locked into a cycle of unknowing. That article 15 years ago described a generation who refused to accept blind faith. Nobody should accept blind faith. The truths of Christianity, the truths of of the resurrection are not an invitation to blind faith. Fifteen years later, my fear is that we are blindly refusing faith. We are choosing to be blind, choosing to not look into the claims of Scripture. Otherwise, we might see for ourselves and risk the implications. And so our story today invites us to investigate the greatest truth in all of Scripture, the greatest truth in all of human history. Like Thomas, what our hearts need today is to see for ourselves that Jesus is alive. And if we can be sure of his resurrection from the dead, then all of our questions and doubts in all other areas of life, in all of our relationships, in all of our identity, every other doubt that we have, every insecurity and fear that we have, if we can be sure of this, that Jesus is alive, then everything else, every other thing that we could possibly be skeptical about begins to fall into place. And so today I want us to ask three questions, three simple questions. First is, why don't we see for ourselves? Why should we see for ourselves? And what happens when we do see for ourselves? So first, why don't we see for ourselves? Well, many, like Thomas, claim that there's a lack of evidence. Right, According to this story, when the disciples come to him and they say, we've seen the Lord, Thomas doesn't go, no. No, he says, unless I see for myself, unless I see the wounds in his hands, unless I see the wound in his side, I will never believe. See, he's called doubting Thomas, but Thomas is no doubter. Thomas is an unbeliever. He is not doubting anything. He does not believe. I will never believe. This is a guy who walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus do amazing things, performed miracles, but he does not have categories in his mind for a Messiah who has died and raised from the dead. See, people think that the ancients were just like idiots that believed anything. Wait, a guy rose from the dead? Okay. That's not the case. That's not true. They had discernment. Thomas did not have a category. There was no shelf in his brain that could make sense of a dead and resurrected Messiah. He wants to see the evidence. And many of us today are like Thomas. We may like the idea of Jesus, but there's no category 
in our brains. There's no shelf where we can put the resurrection of Jesus Christ on and have it fit nicely with our worldview. Because dead people have this remarkable ability to stay dead. Dead people don't get up. It doesn't fit. And so if we are to see for ourselves, we're going to need some evidence. Jesus, if you are alive, if you've raised from the dead and you really want me to believe in you, then manifest yourself to me right now. You would appear to me right now and prove to me that you are alive. Or actually, you know what? Just one example of resurrection. Jesus, it doesn't need to be Jesus. Just somebody, bring somebody back from the dead after three days in the grave and then I'll listen to your stories about Jesus. Just one example of resurrection. Or God, if that's too much for you, how about you just save my dad? Save my mom. Save my friend from this cancer that is going to kill them. If resurrection is too hard for you, God, certainly it's easier to prevent death than it is to raise the dead. Do this. And I'll listen. Seems fair. Jesus appeared to Thomas and the, and the others. Why wouldn't he do that for us? For some, we don't see for ourselves because we believe there's a lack of evidence. Another reason we don't see for ourselves is because of a lack of confidence. Maybe there are aspects of Jesus' story that are compelling to you, but you're on the fence because of other competing theories and ideologies in the world. You've heard, well, actually, Jesus didn't die. The, the, the professional Roman crucifixion soldiers made a mistake, and he just passed out. And no one, everyone forgot to look, listen, and feel uh, to make sure that he was dead. And so then he revived. Or you've seen how you, you, don't, you don't quite understand how, how faith in Jesus is different from any other faith in the world. Or you've heard that there are the claim that there are, are uh, stories of, of resurrection uh, in, in the ancient world. You've heard that the resurrection of Jesus was just based in ancient mythologies from other cultures. There's these stories from other mythical religions and, and mystery religions that claim that, that there are people who died and were revived. Some of them died and were revived every year to explain the harvest cycle. And so Jesus is just, just another one of those. And so people claim that the resurrection is just a borrowed trope from an ancient superstitious world. And this undermines the confidence and the reliability that we can have in the resurrection as a historical event. But still others will refuse to see for themselves because of a lack of witness. Now, what do I mean by that? A lack of witness. Those in your life who believe in Jesus are sometimes the worst reflections of Jesus. bad witnesses. They testify with words, but their lives tell a different tale. Jesus said his disciples were to be his witnesses, not just in word, but that they were supposed to pick up their cross and follow him. They were supposed to live like Jesus. And many of you know Christians who don't live like Christ. Perhaps, and forgive me if this gets a little uncomfortable, 
But perhaps maybe one of the reasons you don't believe is because of the person that brought you here today. Maybe one of the reasons you don't believe is because of the person that's sitting next to you or a pastor that let you down, a church that hurt you. Maybe it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Sorry. Maybe you're a believer in the reason that the people that you invited here today didn't come because they've seen the way that you live. This is also evidence of our own disbelief. The disbelief of believers. See, if we don't believe that, that Jesus has our best interest in mind, then we have to take matters into our own hands and we try to control things and we get anxious and when we control, we hurt people. Or maybe we don't believe that God will provide for us and so we're anxious and, and greedy and we're not generous and we're dishonest in our business dealings. Or you don't believe that Jesus is good enough to satisfy your deepest longings and so we take matters into our own hands and we pursue all kinds of sex and substances and things to, to, to bring pleasure to our day and, and a little light into our life, we believe. Maybe you're here and you're like, Adam, chill out. Turn the heat back on the unbelievers. I am. At some level, in all of our hearts, we fail to believe the truth. We fail to believe that it's real. We fail to believe that Jesus is alive and that his, his life changes things and changes you and changes us and changes our community and changes the culture and changes the way people perceive Jesus when people actually live like Jesus. We all need to see for ourselves today. We all need evidence. We all need confidence. We all need faithful witnesses to assure us that Jesus is alive and that his life changes all of us. And until we do, we won't see for ourselves. So then why should we see for ourselves? Well, first, because we do have evidence. The evidence is real and, and the evidence is things that, that I continually have to come back to myself and remind myself of these things. When I, when I look at my life and I go, God, am I, re am I really giving my life to this? Like, okay, uh, I believe that God raised a man from the dead. And if I believe that, that he will raise me from the dead. I believe that, right? I still believe that, right? You still believe that, right? You, you have these doubts. You have these moments with God where you go, am I really giving my life for this? And I have to look at the evidence. And one of the, the, the first evidences I always turn to is the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. Before the disciples of Jesus ever saw the risen Christ, they looked into a tomb where his body lay and it was not there. And the angel said, he's not here. He is risen. And their opponents, the people who opposed the teaching of the resurrection, all they had to do to squash this, 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 this new movement of Christianity was present a corpse. But the opponents never rejected the idea of the empty tomb. They only talked about how the tomb became empty. And so the theory was that the disciples themselves stole the body. That is how the tomb became empty. They never denied that it was empty. 
they made up a story to explain why it was empty. We all love a good conspiracy theory. But let's say, for instance, that it was made up. If the disciples spun this tale, they are the dumbest con artists in the history of humanity. Because they tell a story in a way that is entirely unbelievable to that culture. Okay, first, they choose the wrong witnesses. In the ancient world, a woman's testimony was not respected at all. It wasn't even valid in a court of law. And so if they were spinning this tale, they never would have chosen women to be the first eyewitnesses. It immediately invalidated their story. The only reason women would be written into the story as the first eyewitnesses is if it was true. There is no other reason they would make up a story where women are the first eyewitnesses. Another evidence is the variations in the gospel accounts. If you read the gospel accounts of the resurrections, there's different details in the story. And many people will look at those details as evidence of contradiction, evidence to disagree with the resurrection account. But I actually believe that the variance in the gospel account is reason for their validity. Not only can there be explanation given to harmonize the different gospel accounts, but it's actually evidence of the story's credibility. A couple of years ago, my son fell out of a tree and broke his wrist. And so we rushed him to cottage and we checked him into the emergency room and a nurse took me aside and said, Mr. Smith, can you tell me what happened? And I said, yeah, he was, you know, climbing a, a tree at my grandmother's house and he fell out and hit a branch and went to, you know, uh, brace himself and he, and he broke his wrist. Oh, okay, thank you so much. We'll get him in there uh, shortly. And then they go to my son and they take him aside and they say, okay, tell me what happened. And he told them what happened. They're listening for the same story told in different words. Because if we told the same story in the same words, it's evidence of collusion. I am trying to cover something up. I am saying, let's get our stories straight. You're going to say this, this, and this. I'm going to say this and this. And so they're looking for the same story in different words. The courts of law do this as well. With, with witnesses and written testimony, Simon Greenleaf was a professor at Harvard Law who developed the system for analyzing written testimony in the courts of law. And we still use the methods that he outlined today. And when he applied his methods to the Gospels, as though they were written testimony in the court of law, his conclusion is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most historically proven fact in human history. According to the written testimony, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most historically proven fact in human history. We have evidence, and we can have confidence when we examine the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, we find that it's unlike any other story in all of history or mythology. Unlike the stories of other gods, whether it's Osiris or Attis or Adonis or any of these other gods who cultures claimed had died and were revived and continued to come back with the moon cycle and the harvest cycle. Jesus' death and resurrection is not, to, is not some primitive explanation of, of moon phases or, or something else in the natural world. 
In all of these other cultures too, the death of a deity was never seen as triumphant. It was always their failure to defeat another god, usually, who was stronger. But not so in the biblical story. Jesus' death is his victory. Jesus' death on the cross is conquering sin and Satan once and for all. Jesus' death is triumphant. Also, those from mythology died and came back just as they were. Whether they were humans and they died, they came back as human. If they were God, they died, they came back just as they were. But Jesus died in human weakness and he was raised in the power of God. There was something about Jesus that, that changed. He was, he's still he, this, this human and divine, but he's more than just human. They're in this room he's behind locked doors and Jesus manifests himself. He, he materializes in the room, but he's not some apparition. He's got flesh and bones. He eats with them. They touch his wounds. All of this make Jesus' resurrection a unique and compelling event that defies any categories in the ancient world. But what's more is that our earliest records of the resurrection of Jesus came from a man named Paul, who was a Jewish religious leader who would have detested any association with the pagan religions. No Pharisee, no truly devout Pharisee would spin a tale that put their faith in the same category as pagan religion. It's just not going to happen. And so we have evidence and we can have confidence, but we also have faithful witnesses. We have faithful men and women who have eyewitness testimony of the resurrection. And not only do their stories tell the tale, but their lives back it up. And these disciples go from being cowards locked in a room to experiencing the risen Christ and going out in the streets, boldly proclaiming the good news of the kingdom for in, 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 despite the fear of death. The only difference is that they encountered the risen Christ. And they go from cowards to martyrs. Almost all of the apostles were murdered for their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest examples of these faithful witnesses is that man I already mentioned, Paul, who before he was converted was called Saul. He violently, ruthlessly arrested Christians, murdered Christians until one day he encountered Jesus himself and overnight began to proclaim that Jesus was alive. He was one of the most highly respected up and coming religious leaders and he threw it all away to suffer the same kind of death that he had brought to so many. These faithful witnesses did not fabricate anything. There was nothing to gain and everything to lose. There may be an amount of stupidity or gullibility that someone might have to die for a lie, but not one that they spun themselves. Not a lie that they knew was a lie. See, it's not for lack of evidence that we don't see for ourselves. It's not for lack of confidence that we don't see for ourselves or even lack of witness that we don't see for ourselves. But it is because of an abundance of fear that we don't see for ourselves. 
Today, many people are terrified of the implications of faith. Fearful of what we happen, what would happen if we do see for ourselves. So what happens when we see for ourselves? Like Thomas, when we see for ourselves, we must acknowledge that all the claims about Jesus are real. And Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. It would mean that everything that Jesus said and did was real. It would mean that God is real. It would mean that his law is real, that his demands for holiness is real. If Jesus is alive, then it means that sin is real, that hell is real, and that Jesus' command to us to carry our cross and follow him is real. And faith in that, seeing for ourselves, would require that we give up our right to control our own lives. And potentially, it requires us to be willing to lose the respect of our community. You might lose even your very life as countless of his faithful witnesses have before us. The fear of these implications, of what it means for us, have kept so many people from taking seriously the claims of the resurrection, but refusing to see for yourself doesn't make it not real. Look, refusing to check my bank account doesn't mean I have unlimited funds. Okay, refusing to go to the doctor doesn't mean I'm going to live forever. And blindly refusing faith doesn't put Jesus back in the grave. And so some of you are afraid to take Jesus seriously because it would mean that Jesus can ask anything of you. But what we should really be afraid of is that we might actually refuse what he offers us. So you might be afraid to see for yourself because if Jesus is alive, then everything Jesus said and did was real. But also if Jesus is alive, then everything he said and did was real. Which means your sins are forgiven. Because he paid the debt on the cross. means that God will never leave you or forsake you because he's poured out his Holy Spirit on those who believe that God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. The one who, who made you believes that you matter to him. You are unique to him. You are special to him. It means that when we leave this, this world, our life does not end. It means that when we... when all other people may forget who we are or forget our name, but God knows your name. Look, many of us don't even know the name of our great-grandparents. Just three generations, and all is forgotten. But in Christ, God remembers you for an eternity. He delights in you for an eternity. He loves you and he saved you and he desires to be with you, to bless you and give you life. What we should really be afraid of is refusing what he has to offer. In the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, 
Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, if Jesus is still in the tomb, we are all wasting our time. Going to church is a waste of your time. It does not make you a better person. It makes you a fool and a liar. But if Jesus is alive and you see for yourself and believe and the Holy Spirit is poured into your heart, then you have a hope that no death can kill. And you have a joy that no sorrow can overcome. And if you see for yourself and believe that Jesus is alive, then you have a life that no grave can hold. The grave couldn't hold Jesus and it can't hold you. And if you see for yourself and believe that Jesus is alive, then there is, you have a love that no heartbreak can ever crush. No, you have a confidence that no fear can shake and you have an identity that no lie can steal. This world wants to tell you that you can make up whatever identity you want, but God has made you, he has called you, he has saved you, and your identity is in Christ, that when God looks at you, he sees his beloved son in whom he is well pleased, and nothing can take that from you. You cannot build a better identity than Jesus has given you. You cannot build a better life than Jesus has given you. You cannot build a better future than the one awaiting you on the other side of your resurrection. Because if Jesus is alive, then he will give life to your mortal bodies as well. If Jesus is alive and you see for yourself, then you have a Savior who is alive. He is victorious. He has conquered the grave. Right now to all of us, Jesus' hands are extended to you. See the wounds in my hands. See the wound in my side. As he said to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas proclaims, my Lord and my God, he says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And yet at the same time, through faith, through putting your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, putting your faith in Jesus, not only as Savior, but as your Lord and God, the one who has authority over your life, then we are told that God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the greatest evidence that Jesus is alive. Because we experience his life bringing us back from the dead and experience our, our world going from black and white into color. 
The Holy Spirit is the greatest evidence. The Holy Spirit is the greatest confidence. The Holy Spirit is the greatest witness of Jesus' glory, his testimony, his story, and his risen life. The Holy Spirit is poured into your heart through faith and confirms all that Christ has said was real and true. And so he is extending himself to you today. Do not disbelieve. Do not leave from this place in darkness, but leave believing. Leave confessing that he is Lord and God and that everything he said and did was real, which means you belong to him. And that is good news. Heavenly Father, we pray that right now you would pour out the spirit of God on this place. For those who are on the fence, you would just gently nudge them off the fence. Lord, that your spirit would be upon them, that right now, even as they experience the spirit tugging on their hearts, and I believe that there are people here who have even claimed to be Christians, who right now are facing that decision. Do I really believe this? Do I really give my life to this? My life is a mess. My life is in shambles. My marriage is broken. My relationship with my kids is wounded. I I, I don't know what to do with my life. I believe I'm doing the best that I can, and they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do. And Holy Spirit, you're tugging on them. You're convicting them. You're convincing them that this is real. And they're afraid that something is going to have to change. And yes, something is going to have to change. The death that they live in is going to have to become life. God, bring them to life. May they see your wounds. May they see your glory. May they experience your spirit. And may we fall to our knees and confess Jesus, that you are my Lord and my God. Save us, Jesus. Save us now. Bring glory to your name. Heal your people. Heal your church. We pray for a revival in this place, a revival in Carpinteria. Pour out your spirit so that all people would see that he is risen. Jesus, do this. Be glorified. Stir us up for worship today because you are alive. And may we experience your presence manifested among us. In Jesus' name, amen.